Chapter Eighteen of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Eighteen. Return to the Nunnery. While we remained in this place. I was not punished in any of the usual methods. Perhaps they thought the exposure to a burning sun and a severe headache sufficient to keep me in subjection without any other infliction. But immediately on my return to the nunnery, I was again subjected to the same cruel, capricious, and unreasonable punishment. On the first day after my return, one of the priests came into the kitchen where I was at work, and I hastened to give him the usual respectful salutation, which I have before described. But he took hold of my arm and said, What do you look cross for? And without giving me time to reply, even if I had dared to do so, he added, I'll teach you not to look cross at me. He left the room with an expression of countenance that frightened me, I was not aware of looking cross at him, though I must confess I had suffered so much at his hands already, I did not feel very happy in his presence. Yet I always endeavoured to treat him with all due respect. Certainly his accusation against me in this instance was as false as it was cruel. But what of that? I was only a nun, and who would care if I was punished unjustly? The priest soon returned with a band of leather, or something of the kind, into which thorns were fastened in such numbers that the inside was completely covered with them. This he fastened around my head, with the points of the thorns pressing into the skin, and drew it so tight that the blood ran in streams over my neck and shoulders. I wore this band or crown of thorns, as they called it, for six hours, and all the time continued my work as usual. Then I thought of the crown of thorns our Saviour wore when he gave his life a ransom for the sins of the world. I thought I could realize something of his personal agony, and the prayer of my soul went up to heaven for grace to follow his example and forgive my tormentors. From this time I was punished every day while I remained there, and for the most simple things. It was evident they wished to break down my spirit, but it only confirmed me in my resolution to get away from them as soon as possible. One day I chanced to close the door a little too hard. It was mere accident but for doing it they burned me with red-hot tongs. They kept them in the fire till they were red-hot, then plunged them into cold water, drew them out as quickly as possible, and immediately applied them to my arms or feet. The skin would, of course, adhere to the iron, and it would sometime burn down to the bone before they condescended to remove it. At another time I was cruelly burned on my arms and shoulders for not standing erect. 
the flesh was deep in some places and the agony i suffered was intolerable i thought of the stories the abbess used to tell me years before about the martyrs who were burned at the stake but i had not a martyr's faith and i could not imitate their patience and resignation the sores made on these occasions were long in healing and to this day i bear upon my person the scars caused by these frequent burnings i was often punished because i forgot to walk on my toes for this trivial offence i have often been made to fast two days we all wore cloth shoes and it was the rule of the house that we should all walk on tiptoe sometimes we would forget and take a step or two in the usual way and then it did seem as though they rejoiced in the opportunity to inflict punishment it was the only amusement they had and there was so little variety in their daily life i believe they were glad of anything to break in upon the monotony of convent life and give them a little excitement it was very hard for me to learn to walk on my toes and as I often failed to do it, I was of course punished for the atrocious crime. But I did learn at last, for what can we not accomplish by resolute perseverance? Several years of practice so confirmed the habit that I found it as difficult to leave off as it was to begin. Even now I find myself tripping along on tiptoe before I am aware of it. We had a very cruel abbess in the kitchen, and this was one reason of our being punished so often. She was young and inexperienced, and had just been promoted to office, with which she seemed much pleased and elated. She embraced every opportunity to exercise her authority, and often have I fasted two whole days for accidentally spilling a little water on the kitchen floor. Whenever she wished to call my attention to her, she did not content herself with simply speaking, but would box my ears, pull my hair, pinch my arms, and in many ways so annoy and provoke me that I often wished her dead. One day when I was cleaning knives and forks, she came up to me and gave me such a severe pinch on my arm that I carried the marks for many days. I did not wait to think what I was doing, but turned and struck her with all my might. It could not have been a light blow, for I was very angry. She turned away, saying she would report me to the Lady Superior. I did not answer her, but as she passed through the door, I threw a knife, which I hoped would hit her, but it struck the door as she closed it. I expected something dreadful would be done to me after this willful violation of a well-known law. But I could bear it, I thought, and I was glad I hit her so hard. She soon returned with a young priest, who had been there but a short time, and his heart had not yet become so hard as it is necessary to be a good Romish priest. He came to me and asked, What is the matter? I told him the abbess punished me every day, 
that in fact I was under punishment most of the time, that I did not deserve it, and I was resolved to bear it no longer. I struck her because she pinched me for no good reason, and I should in future try to defend myself from her cruelty. Do you know, said he, what will be done to you for this? No, sir, said I, I do not know, and I was about to add, I do not care, but I restrained myself. He went out, and for a long time I expected to be called to account, but I heard no more of it. The abbess, however, went on in the old way, tormenting me on every occasion. One day the priests had a quarrel among themselves, and if I had said a drunken quarrel, I do not think it would have been a very great mistake. In the fray they stabbed one of their number in the side, drew him out of his room, and left him on the floor in the hall of the main building, but one flight of stairs above the kitchen. Two nuns, who did the chamber work, came downstairs, and seeing him lie there helpless and forsaken, they took him by the hair of the head and drew him down to the kitchen. Here they began to torment him in the most cruel manner. They burned sticks in the fire until the end was a live coal, put them into his hands and closed them, pressing the burning wood into the flesh, and thus producing the most exquisite pain. At least this would have been the result if he had realized their cruelty, but I think he was insensible before they touched him, or if not, must have died very soon after, for I am sure he was dead when I first saw him. I went to them and remonstrated against such inhuman conduct. That man has tormented me more than I can him, if I do my best, and I wish him to know how good it is. But, said I, someone will come in and you will be caught in the act. I'll risk that, said she. They are quarrelling all over the house, and will have enough to do to look after each other for a while, I assure you. But the man is dead, said I. How can you treat a senseless corpse in that way? I'm afraid he is dead, she replied. He don't move at all, and I can't feel his heart beat, but I did hope to make him realize how good the fire feels. Meanwhile, the blood was flowing from the wound in his side, and ran over the floor. The sight of this alarmed them, and they drew him into another dark hall, and left him beside the door of a room used for punishment. They then came back, locked the hall door, and washed up the blood. They expected to be punished for moving the dead body, but the floor was dry before any of the priests came in, and I do not think it was ever known. Perhaps they did not remember events as distinctly as they might under other circumstances, and it is very possible that when they found the corpse they might not have been able to say whether it was where they left it or not. We all rejoiced over the death of that priest. He was a very cruel man, had punished me times without number. 
but though I was glad he was dead, I could not have touched him when he lay helpless and insensible. A few weeks after the events just related, another trifling occurrence brought me into collision with the abbess. And here let me remark that I have no way by which to ascertain at what particular time certain events transpired. The reader will understand that I write this narrative from memory, and our life at the nunnery was so monotonous, the days and weeks passed by with such dull and irksome uniformity, that sometimes our frequent punishments were the only memorable events to break in upon the tiresome sameness of our unvarying life. Of course, the most simple thing was regarded by us as a great event, something worthy of special notice, because for the time it diverted our minds from the peculiar restraints of our disagreeable situation. To illustrate this remark, let me relate an incident that transpired about this time. I was one day sent to a part of the house where I was not in the habit of going. I was passing along a dark hall when a ray of light from an open door fell upon my path. I looked up, and as the door at that moment swung wide open, I saw before the glass, in a richly furnished room, the most beautiful woman I ever beheld. From the purity of her complexion, and the bright color of her cheeks and lips, I could have taken her for a piece of waxwork, but for the fact that she was carelessly arranging her hair. She was tall and elegant in person, with a countenance of such rare and surpassing beauty, I involuntarily exclaimed, What a beautiful woman! She turned towards me with a smile of angelic sweetness, while an expression of sympathetic emotion overspread her exquisitely moulded features which seemed to say as plainly as though she had spoken in words, Poor child, I pity you. I now became conscious that I was breaking the rules of the house, and hastened away. But, oh, how many days my soul fed on that smile! I never saw the lady again, her name I could never know, but that look of tenderness will never be forgotten. It was something to think of through many dreary hours, something to look back to and be grateful for all the days of my life. But to return to my narrative. The priests had a large quantity of sap gathered from the maple trees and brought to the nunnery to be boiled into sugar. Another nun and myself were left to watch it, keep the kettle filled up, and prevent it from burning. It was boiled in the large cauldron of which I have before spoken, and covered with a large, thin, wooden cover. The sap had boiled some time, and become very thick. I was employed in filling up the kettle when the abbess came into the room, and after a few inquiries directed me to stand upon the cover of the cauldron and fix a large hook directly over it. I objected, 
for I know full well that it would not bear a fourth part of my weight. She then took hold of me, and tried to force me to step upon it, but I knew that I should be burned to death, for the cover, on account of its enormous size, was made as thin as possible, that we might be able to lift it. When I saw that she was determined to make me yield, in self-defense I threw her upon the floor. Would that I had been content to stop there. But no, when I saw her in my power, and remembered how much I had suffered from her, my angry passions rose, and I thought only of revenge. I commenced beating her with all my might, and when I stopped from mere exhaustion, the other nun caught her by the hair and began to draw her round the room. She struggled and shrieked, but she could not help herself. Her screams, however, alarmed the house, and hearing one of the priests coming, the nun gave her a kick and left her. The priest asked what we were doing, and the abbess related with all possible exaggeration the story of our cruelty. But what did you do to them? asked the priest. You gave them some provocation, or they would never treat you so. She was then obliged to tell what had passed between us, and he said she deserved to suffer for giving such an order. Why, said he, that cover would not have held her a moment, and she would most assuredly have burned to death. He punished us all, the abbess for giving the order, and us for abusing her. I should not have done this thing, had I not come off so well, when I once before attempted to defend myself. But my success at that time gave me courage to try it again. My punishment was just, and I bore it well, consoled by the thought that justice was awarded to the abbess as well as myself. End of chapter 18